0: Welcome to the Open House Podcast, conversations exploring life, faith and hope with Stephen O'Doherty. Well Swedes today vote in a national election likely to further spur the rise of populist anti-immigration politics in Europe. Sweden's long been a socially progressive country which takes pride in its tolerance and stability Sweden and Germany were at the forefront during the 2015 European immigration crisis, which arose as people started fleeing that war in Syria and other locations. Sweden took, I think, 163,000 asylum seekers in 2015. But like many other countries in Europe, notably Italy and Greece and Hungary, Austria, Denmark, there's a populist backlash and a sense that countries want to turn inwards. Germany. A far right party called the Swedish Democrats, or SD, uh, has been fuelling concerns about immigration and rising crime in that country. They are anti-European Union, so if they were British they'd be Brexit. Does that mean they're Swexit? I don't know, I just made that up. Uh, um, And they're far divorced from the ideals of the Social Democrats, uh, who have been the driving force in Swedish politics Four generations. Despite other major parties declaring they will not do deals with the so- uh, Swedish Democrats, the SD, that party has enjoyed rising popularity uh, for nearly 10 years, and they may in fact become the second-placed party when the results of the poll today or tonight, our time, is in. Professor Simon Torme from Sydney University is a specialist in European politics. Simon, welcome back to Open House. Thank you very much for having me. I guess the question is, uh, for me, should we be worried about what's happening in Europe?
1: Um, Well, there's certainly um, an incremental increase in support for the far right, for uh, anti-immigration parties, anti-refugee parties. Uh, We saw this, obviously, with the French presidential election, where Marine Le Pen got as far as 40% of the national vote. Mm -hmm. Uh, We saw it in the German election with the um, alternative for Deutschland. We've seen uh, individuals like Geert Wilders uh, do extremely well. And, of course, the Brexit vote is itself often interpreted as a kind of cry of help against immigration and and, and freedom of, of movement within the European Union. So. Um, this is another test of the hypothesis that basically Europe is turning right and at the same time that social democracy and centre-left politics has lost its legs.
0: Now, I mean, turning right is, no, is nothing to be worried about by itself, I suppose, but the reason to be worried for me would be if you've got people who are generating effectively hate-based politics. And, and I wonder, is that what we're seeing in, for example, this um, Swedish election with the, so, the Sweden Democrats?
1: Well, it's certainly the case that, um, yes, there's a perfectly legitimate set of arguments to be had and we have it all the time in Australia about how many people we think we can welcome, what the nature of immigration should be and so on. And I I think you're right to say we shouldn't hide away away from those debates and that there's been a little bit of that over the last sort of 10 or 15 years that you're a racist if you think that, you know, country can only support so many migrants and so on. So I, I agree. I think a sort of mood of sort of realism about, these things is needed in order to weigh up what really is a threat and what is just kind of legitimate debate. The issue about the Sweden Democrats who are riding quite high in the polls, although we, we you know there's there's a little bit of discrepancy there, but they're certainly going to uh, do at least twenty percent of the vote on Sunday, possibly a little bit more than that, and some people are even predicting late twenty percent, hmm. is their past. So They have a past in neo-Nazi movements in Sweden 15, 20 years ago. There are some nasty elements still lurking within that party. But really, in the last 10 years, the new leader there, Orkerson, has has tidied it up a lot. He's given it a much more respectable um, sort of televisual presence, if you like. He's doing for the Sweden Democrats what Marine Le Pen has been doing for the uh, Front National, which is to, to broaden its appeal and to play down racist past and to make sure that people don't see it as a kind of a racist or neo-nazi party so what we can note here is that actually some of the nastier elements are no longer in the sweden democrat party they're actually further to the right still so there's another party called alternative for sweden and outside that there are all sorts of really quite nasty nazi groups for example the nordic resistance front and so on so there is a kind of You know, there is another set of of issues as we move further to the right. But certainly the Mm -hmm. Sweden Democrats are an anti-immigrant party. They do highlight the perils posed by refugees and so on. But many of these concerns, as we can hear, are shared by, you know, ordinary uh, voting citizens.
0: And and so when you talk about the neo-Nazi past of this party and now the remnants of that that are in a a long tail of other movements, perhaps tailing off to the right of them... What, what are those elements, those currents that are still alive? Are they the elements of um, denouncing people on the basis of ethnicity or race? Are they the, um, really the seizing of control? Does it, does it still contain the, the absolutely hateful, um, ideologies of uh, what happened to Germany?
1: Yeah, there are certainly, I mean, having been doing a bit of reading and, and looking at YouTube videos and so on over the course of the week in preparation for the election, I mean, there, there genuinely is a kind of neo-Nazi movement in, in Sweden. I mean, you look at the the, the the imagery, the posters, the rhetoric of the Nordic Resistance Front, I mean, you're under no doubt at all that these are people who sti- see themselves and style themselves as national socialists, as Nazis. So,
0: so this means they're, white they're, supremacists, effectively.
1: They're white supremacists. They, mm-hmm. they feel that... Um, the ethnic purity the homogenous nation of Sweden and Scandinavia more broadly is being diluted and undermined by an influx of refugees and immigrants and they want to return back to that homogenous entity so there's undoubtedly a strong racist element there it's just you know we're trying to sort of get to grips with what sort of percentage of the population that might actually reflect.
0: Well we know that Germany has done so much to try to suppress That um, it's just remarkable to see it in Sweden, a country that's been known for its kind of liberal democracy, if you like.
1: I agree, but I I do think that you know events over the last five or six years have kind of precipitated a, a sort of shift to the right. I mean, Germany, we just mentioned, you know, one million refugees from the Middle East. Uh, I was in Berlin a year ago, and the um, taxi driver was telling me that over 100,000 people were in various kind of refugee camps. Now, you, you might, you know, our humanitarian instinct is to say, you know, that's fantastic and holding out a hand of friendship to people in the Middle East and so on. But partly that was to force the European Union to take a larger responsibility for that. Hmm. And really, the EU has shown very little leadership in this respect, which hmm. has meant that, Large concentrations of refugees and immigrants have found themselves in places like eastern Germany and in Sweden and in other kind of major centers, whereas places like France, for example, Spain have taken in proportionately far fewer refugees and migrants. And this is also stoking the resentment because the feeling is that other people are not coming to the party. They're not helping out with this. And Mm. instead, these kind of the social problems that go with Integrating and looking after large numbers of new migrants are not being equitably dealt with by the European Union, so yeah. this is also stoking a kind of you know an anti eu sentiment as well as a sort of pro ethnic nationalist nativist
0: movement on open house our guest is professor simon tourmay he's from the university of sydney's faculty of arts and social sciences uh, an expert on european politics and national elections and political theory so you've just written a book on populism Uh, is this an example of populist politics that could take hold and indeed is it not the case that we're seeing the same thing in great britain the united states and potentially here in australia
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, populism is quite a complex uh, concept, and one of the tasks of my book uh, is to try to simplify it and to make it uh, easily intelligible for people who are kind of wondering what it's about. So, really, how I define things, populism is is a style of politics which basically identifies uh, a core antagonism between the people—that's us, the citizens, if you like—and the elites, the establishment. So. When we put it in those kind of narrow terms, Mm. we note that there are populisms of the left, of the center, and of the right. Mm. So we can't imagine that far-right politics is itself populist, but some species of far-right politics are. So when you get a strong anti-establishment tone to the far-right, as you had in the US with Trump, as you get in some of these uh, far-right movements in places like Germany and Holland and so on, they're populist. But equally, we can also have left-wing populisms of the kind that we get for example, in Spain with Podemos and Syriza in Greece, and uh, with Bernie Saunders, in, uh, who was the, going to be m- might have been the Democrat candidate if he'd uh, overcome Hillary Clinton. So um, this is another part of the story. So we've got the far right on the one hand, but we also have the rise of anti-establishment and outsider parties, and that for us really and this is important in the Sweden context as well, because what we haven't discussed is actually the return of the Communist Party. They're actually doing pretty well in the polls themselves. They've gone from something like. 4 or 5 percent, up to 10 percent, they may get as far as 12 percent on Sunday. Really what's happening is that electorates across the world, and particularly in Australia, simply don't have any trust in the political establishment anymore. We don't really believe the narratives. We don't think they're acting in our interest. And this is creating hiatus in the party system, which is itself translating into spills and leadership routes and all the kinds of things that we've seen Uh, quite recently in australia as well so there's two little stories go this populism story there's also a far right story there's also a far left story uh, and that's the kind of state of politics as we see it at the moment
0: yes but all of it it sounds from what you're saying all of it is really an antitrust or at least a, a a a lack of trust turned into let's exploit people's own fears insecurities even the things they dislike like the other let's exploit that for political purposes and and capitalize on it so are we seeing a recalibration of the stability of democracies
1: yeah very much so i mean i think that's a really good way of putting it is that you know the core of this is trust um those who wield power those who are you know in a kind of um either metaphorically or literally in the case of australia far away from us sitting in sydney or melbourne or brisbane you know canberra seems a long long way away um, you know the, we 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 have a political dynamic at work it 's partly fueled by social media it 's partly fueled by the fact that you know we 're still recovering from a global recession and from all sorts of shocks to the the kind of um, the rosy image of progress that we 've had over. Um, since the post-war generation, really. We've got climate change. We've got all these kind of really kind of chronic problems going on. Mm. And we're looking around for leadership of those things, and we're not really seeing it. So what we're seeing is outsiders who say, well, follow me. I've got all the answers. Mm. Um, But, of course, they're untested. And this is the the dynamic of our age, is that all these untested outsiders are able to make great political capital against the political establishment. But, of course, when they themselves get into power, Arguably, we simply see the same thing being repeated again. Well, this is
0: our dynamic. Yes, Yes, and I would many of us would look at that and say there's a lack of vision there. You know, there's a great um, account in the Bible of Jesus having pity on the crowds, and he says they were like sheep without a shepherd. (laughs) And you can almost say these are the times that we're in now, as they were in the first century. We don't have shepherds who would lead us to a better place. We there seem to be plenty of people who want to lead us to a place of division. Um, but who who is it that can lead us to a better place? That's a real question. That's a dilemma. It is. A very, isn't it?
1: It's, a very, it's very very tricky because, as we know, democracies also have to, in a sense, um, you know, deal with this the sort of the balance between a sort of redemptive, hopeful vision yeah. and actually sort of getting things done. Yeah. So, uh, you know, building roads and getting people to school and and making sure there are medical services and so on. So. The tricky thing, the thing that we're finding in advanced democracies at the moment is that really no one's got this right. There aren't any kind of images of political leadership. Even Macron, who I think, you know, a lot of people had hopes for when he beat off Marine Le Pen, is a centrist politician, very kind of sensible. He's got the lowest approval ratings of any political leader in Europe (laughs) at the moment. So if somebody like that of the centre, centre populists can't really make political headway at the moment, it, it is difficult to see you know, where where we're going to land with this. Um, What we're hoping, I think, is that the macro picture, the sort of economy, you know, global economy picks up and that kind of reinvigorates people's sense of optimism. But, of course, there are all these sort of downsize issues as well, climate change and global migration, all these other pressures. So it's it's a complex picture at the moment.
0: Yeah. What's your book called?
1: Populism, A Beginner's Guide. $12.99,
0: Twelve ninety nine. All good bookshops at Christmas. Twelve ninety nine. Get them out there. That's at it. twice the price. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> buy two. <laughs> <laughs> Look, thank you for speaking with us. It's always good, and uh, I hope I hope the book goes well for you. But let's keep an eye on Sweden. Thank you, Professor yes, Tor. Thank,
1: thank you very much for having me as well. All
0: the best. Yeah, Professor Simon Torme from uh, Sydney University. And keep an eye on Sweden tonight for those results coming through. We'll let you know when that book is available at Christmas time. It does sound like a good read about populist politics and I think Simon has a good read on where politics is going around the world at the moment. Discover more open house podcasts at com dot AU.